Hi everyone, this is Narratives of Asia, a podcast by UCL Asiatic Affairs. Today's topic, we're going to be discussing Singapore and the coronavirus, in particular her response, what went right, what went wrong, and perhaps where we go from here. Before we get started, I'd like to tell you more about Asiatic Affairs and what we do. So the whole purpose of the society is to um, raise awareness of current affairs and issues within the Asiatic region and to provide a platform for UCL students to engage in constructive conversation around these issues. For now, we mainly operate through um, three branches. The first being events, so that means um, speaker events when uni is physically open. Um, and also the next one is publication, which can be found on our website. And lastly, the podcast that you're listening to right now. Uh, if you're interested in what we do, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Spotify at the handle UCL Asiatic Affairs. Okay, so with that being said, our topic today is Singapore and the coronavirus. So just to give everyone a context as to what we're going to be discussing, what Singapore looks like right now. Um, so on the 11th of May 2020, Singapore has 23,822 recorded cases with 20 deaths. And this statistic makes Singapore the hardest hit country within Southeast Asia. So if you have read any news about Singapore and the response to coronavirus, you would uh, perhaps know about the WHO praising Singapore's initial response to the virus as the gold standard because Singapore was able to prevent a widespread infection within the country without calling for a complete lockdown. However, um, as of mid-April, uh, when Singapore thought that they had the situation under control, unfortunately, there has been a spike in cases, in particular, um, uh, within the migrant worker community. So, for example, more than eighty percent of the daily increase in new coronavirus cases come from these migrant workers, um, as compared to previously before this spike happened, where Singapore only recorded uh, double-digit increases daily. So all this came to a peak um, on April the 20th, when Singapore recorded 1,426 cases, of which, again, most came from the migrant worker community. As we step back, right now, Singapore, for the past few weeks, has been looking at around a 600-ish plus-minus increase in cases every single day, again, mostly coming from the migrant worker community. So this is just a snapshot of um, Singapore's situation right now and what we have to deal with today. Today, we have a really special guest with us, um, Dr. Anita Suse. She is a medical doctor working and living in Singapore, um, and she is an, a UCL alumni as well. So hi, Dr. Suse, how are you? Hi, Phoebe, I'm good, thank you. That's great. Um, could you tell us more a bit about yourself and maybe your connection uh, to Singapore? Um, so I am originally from Malaysia, but I studied in the UK and spent about 15 years there. I studied immunology in 
uh, at UCL. I graduated in 1997 and then went on to study medicine in Dublin. So I've been back in Singapore uh, since 2003. So this is home now and um, I have a practice here at the Aesthetic Centre which um, focuses on medical aesthetics. Nice, that's great. Um, so we're going to jump into the the whole situation right now. Um, as you know, Singapore has been has been portrayed as a poster child at the beginning when the coronavirus first spread outside of China because Singapore was actually one of the first countries to be hit with it. Um, could you perhaps tell us more about what Singapore did well at the start to prevent a huge wave of cases? Yeah, I think um, now when you look at the global picture, you know, everybody talks about doing the testing, tracing and isolating. And I think this is something that Singapore did from right did very well from the start, you know. So we had our first positive case on the twenty third of January twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And right from the word go, we actually went out there to contact trace the the people the the, the first case that was positive was actually a tourist from Wuhan who came to Singapore with nine of his friends. And what we did was Singapore immediately contact traced them and made sure that they were able to identify who um, those 10 people came in contact with mm-hmm. in the 14 days while they were prior to being um, diagnosed, that one, the first patient being diagnosed. And I think with doing a very intense contact tracing, they were able to... Um, keep the numbers low because that what follows after contact tracing is a good isolation um, of the people who've been traced and they were put into quarantine for 14 days to make sure that they um, did not mix with the community and also what that allowed was anybody who showed signs of um, like uh, upper respiratory tract infection were then tested. And so early testing comes back, we come back to that again, you know, testing, mm-hmm. tracing and, and, and isolating. So I think that really helped Singapore in the beginning stages. Yeah, definitely. I think it's also partly because um, while the world, I guess the, West of the rest of the world was not taking it seriously at all. Um, I think the Singaporean government, you know, from even if you look back at records, you know, in early January, the health ministry put out notices that they were monitoring the situation in China. So definitely taking it um, seriously from the start did help us curb the spread at the beginning. Yes, for sure. I mean, with and then we had like border closures, uh, travel declarations needed to be done by, by everybody. So it, it really, if you look back, yes, since January, we've been taking it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And also all this is obviously um, supported by a really robust and well-oiled healthcare system as well. Yes, that's right. I mean, the, I, I still remember from just after Chinese New Year, even it was Chinese New Year Eve um, when, you know, I know friends who were working in the polyclinics and in the hospitals and um, many of them had to give up their half day. Like if many of you would know in Singapore, it's usually like a half day for work mm-hmm. um, on Chinese New Year Eve because of the reunion dinner. But um, that day, like my sister, she works in a polyclinic. She had to give up her, her half day leave to stay in at work to to take in any patients who were coming in showing signs of coronavirus. So mm. it, it, the polyclinics and the hospitals were really prepared for this. 
Yeah, definitely. But um, you know, obviously, with all these measures in place, Singapore. I mean, the results show for itself. Singapore only recorded um, cases in the double digits um, at the start. But as mm-hmm. um, as we, you know, a few weeks later, when things we thought were, you know, all being handled well, I guess there was a a huge spike in cases around mid April. Um, mm-hmm. particularly um, in the migrant worker community. So where do you think things went wrong? Yeah, I think um, looking back, it, it was definitely something that was uh, kind of overlooked by mm-hmm. many. Um, I think for us in Singapore, like the hospitals really stepped up, the schools really stepped up. But I think when it came to the migrant community, most the the Ministry of Manpower left it to the dorm operators and to the employers to make sure that they educate their um, employees, the migrant workers, on you know safe dis- distancing and washing their hands. But sometimes that's not enough. You know, when you mm. when you're living in a dorm with five thousand people in it, or sometimes even up to fifteen thousand people, just being in such close proximity. Um, you know, it's just impossible to to have that social distance. And if you're having communal uh, communal meals, if you're doing your um, like washing your dishes using the same big sink, you know, it, it's really something that now, in hindsight, is just a bad idea. You know, especially when you have like something like an infectious disease to deal with. Mm-hmm, definitely, yeah. And just, sorry, just to um, give a bit of context, um, right now, the surge of cases um, um, in Singapore uh, is is mostly being um, found in the migrant worker community and they are mostly um, people who receive low incomes um, and they make up more than 1 million of Singapore's population, which we currently have 5.6 million people. And a lot of them work in construction and, as you said, live in dormitories that um, are, you know, they're really cramped and practicing social distancing can be an issue there because um, just even though they may have been educated on it, I think maybe um, the practicality of it is not really feasible. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, you know, obviously, um, defenders of uh, Singapore's response, they would point to low fatality rates as a sign of success. So I think right now, um, Singapore is one of the lowest um, fatality rates of the coronavirus, with it being less than 0.1%. Um, do you think this is an accurate indicator of what's actually going on? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to 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 illnesses, um, it's quite you you have to gauge your your success based on several factors. So one of it would be like the prevalence of the disease. You know how prevalent it is in the community, um, and the second thing is the rate of patients being discharged. So you don't just want to look at the number of sick patients. You really want to see, you know, how quickly they are getting well and how many of them are being discharged back into the community. Um, and, and then the third thing is the fatality rate. So um, you certainly cannot just look at one parameter to gauge success. And Singapore's problem right now is just that high numbers of cases being diagnosed daily. We're just seeing hundreds, you know, of cases and and then, of course, our discharge rate is not catching up with mm-hmm. those diagnosed cases because we're really keeping them 
um, in in a in a facility and making sure that their their test is negative before we let them out. So most of them stay between two to even three weeks in the facilities. So it's early, uh, too early to say if we mm-hmm. we have been successful. Right. It's not right to just gauge it based on the fatality rate. Yeah, definitely. And also when you talk about discharges, there's also a bit of um, there's a bit of fear that of the um, possibility of reinfection. Um, and That's right. As, as you know, you know um, Singapore has an aging population. We have uh, our demographic um, has a lot of um, older people who are more susceptible to um, being hit harder by the disease. So um, I think you know, having even with the discharges, we still have to be vigilant about how this disease is being yes. contained. Yes, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Yep, and, and I think mm-hmm. many countries who, who uh, which have kind of opened up a bit early, you can see clusters forming again, you know, so we really need to be careful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as you said, um, this we we have to look at the strain of the on the healthcare system because um, right now the Singaporean government, um, when they announce cases, they will kind they will um, differentiate between what they call community spread and what they call um, cases within the migrant worker community. Um, do you think this is uh, you know do you think do you think this is right or do you think this is accurate for them to do that? Because, you know, okay, it, so it I yeah, I I don't see um, like a big problem with them uh, kind of distinguishing it between like commun- the, the numbers in the community and the com- the numbers uh, among the migrant workers. The reason being is the migrant workers are uh, the vast majority are actually being kept in isolation within their dormitories. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you if you want to compare it to like the, the case in Japan where there was a cruise ship um, and, and the patients were, either, were, were isolated in there in Singapore, essentially is something like that. Um, you have, you know, 47 different dorms in, in Singapore and, and, and the migrant workers are generally kept within the dorm that, that they're living in. So um, when we have a high rate within the dormitory it's you can't really say that yeah that's what we're seeing in the community so in that sense yes we we need to kind of distinguish them Mm -hmm. but yes um every case every positive case among the migrant workers is actually it will put a strain on on our healthcare system Mm -hmm. but the good news for singapore is that the 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 high numbers of these uh, infected patients patients who are the migrant workers are actually young fit men you know who don't have any coexisting health problems so that means most of them are only just showing mild symptoms at the moment or some of them are even asymptomatic so these allows um, this allows singapore to place um, these infected patients um, in community care community care facilities rather than be admitted into our hospitals so we're not really seeing a a major strain in our tertiary care hospitals Mm -hmm. because um, now we have that we have community care facilities and community recovery facilities um, which cater more to these um, migrant workers who are um, generally not so unwell and mm-hmm. they don't really need to be in hospital right now. Yeah, so I mean, as you said, migrant workers are in the lower risk category and that also contributes to um, the low fatality rates. Um, yes. And, you know, um, does this mean that, I mean, looking forward, 
um, potentially this could be this could mean um, infecting the uh, Singaporean community, which has a lot of elderly people in it. Yeah, so that's why I think Singapore has done it right by you know making sure that the healthcare provided to these uh, migrant workers is is really. Um, elaborate and, and intense you know every community recovery facility which is a facility where um, patients who are already well they kind of just step up to one step closer to going out into community mm-hmm. so in, in that facility the community recovery facility they we, we make sure that they are well enough they are tested negative before they, are, they go out into the community yeah, for sure that helps. But, yeah, and, and of course, once they go out, I mean, it's still the message still needs to be clear. You still need to wear your mask. You mm-hmm. know, the social distancing is, is important. And I think that's why we, we have to be prepared that um, mask wearing and social distancing will definitely carry on for for months down the road, if not, you know, the, in, in the next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be a huge social change that I know some yes. of us in Asia, we already wear masks, but definitely in the Western world, that's going to be something new. Yes, that's yeah. right. And, um, you know, just talking more about the medical side of things, um, could you <laughs> maybe tell us more about, you know, as you said, your sister's um, a doctor in Singapore as well. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell us more about the morale of healthcare workers? Um, you know, are they, are they feeling optimistic? You know, how are they feeling? Yeah. Um, generally, I, I would say yes, they, they are optimistic. I think everyone, everyone just feels like, you know, there's a job that needs to be done and they just want to do it well and make sure the patients uh, recover. And, and while they are in hospital, you know, they're given the best care that can be given to them. Um, we generally have... Um, I, I've never heard of any hospital saying that they're short of any PPE, protective um, equipment. So mm-hmm. um, I think we're, we're doing okay. The healthcare workers in Singapore are, are generally still fine. Yeah, that's good because um, actually a few days ago, um, um, it was reported that a radiographer working at the Expo, which is um, a mm. huge exhibition centre in Singapore that has been turned into a medical facility for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So like, a radiographer over there was the, um, became the fourth person, the fourth medical personnel to be infected with the disease. So could this potentially yeah. be a blind spot um, that, that could um, result in a new wave Well, of actually, yeah, what was reported, you know, was that... Um, Several yes, um, healthcare workers were you know tested positive. But having said that, um, I think it was it was reported today or yesterday that actually these patients, when they were these healthcare workers, when they were taken to the National Center of Infectious Diseases um, and done a, a, a thorough te- a repeat test there, they were actually found to be negative. So we actually have a very very low number of uh, healthcare workers being infected actually. So the first few tests came out um, wonky? For a few of them, it was positive, but when they were retested, it was actually negative. Mm-hmm. That's good, because I, I can't yeah. imagine you know, being, being on the front lines and not having enough protective gear. It must be really scary. Yes, yeah. definitely. I think it's really important. In fact, 
my husband just um, he had to he he volunteered to work in in the expo mm. in the last uh, two weeks he was there looking after COVID nineteen patients and um, he sent me photos of what they had had to wear and they they were really geared up very well. That's good. Yeah. Moving on, when we see New Zealand, you know, reopening, I guess, normal social life, or, or not completely normal, but they are um, reducing the number of measures put in place in their lockdown. Um, after decisive action to declare um, a full-on lockdown in the country, so. You know, contrasting this with Singapore's approach, which perhaps is slightly different because we kind of trickled in um, measures to ease the country into a so-called circuit breaker, which if you look at the policies is very similar to what other countries call a lockdown. Um, Do you think this different approach has contributed to Singapore still being unable to curb community cases? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite difficult to say because we, mm. um, you know every country is different and in in hindsight maybe we will we will find out that a strong lockdown is actually a good idea but the economy of New Zealand and, and Singapore is very different um, you never know a strong lockdown in Singapore might have devastated our economy so it's really having to get that balance right you know of economy versus disease control um, now that New Zealand has opened up it, it's, it, we will you know get to see if they manage to keep their infection rate down um, but the story hasn't ended yet so we'll need to, to wait for two to three weeks to really get a, a better picture and maybe six down six months down the road when you look back you know you'll be able to tell okay which country got it right you know mm-hmm. but at the moment it's a bit early to say right yeah I mean of course like, everyone is still battling with this virus and mm. you know, it's... and you really don't know um, which policies really worked you know like mm-hmm. South Korea did they, they manage it really well but in the last few days new clusters are coming back up again you know so that this this COVID-19 virus is, is really a tough one <laughs> to say. Yeah. yeah so just moving on to a bit of more of a lighter stuff um, mm-hmm. maybe you could tell us how your life has changed you know do you think there's a sense of panic in the community especially because mm-hmm. a lot of the cases are in the migrant worker community um, yeah, personally, from I mean, just from like, mm-hmm. discussions with you know my friends, I don't sense any sense of panic. Um, I think most people are just worried. I think you're just more worried about your job. You're just worried about work. You know, like like for me, I I practice medical aesthetics, so it's a non-essential service, and my clinic has been closed now for. Mm-hmm for yeah, a month and a bit, you know, and we still have a, a few more weeks to go. And that's worrying, you know, my patients um, are waiting. They, they yeah, have certain definitely. procedures that need to be done, but we can't because it's deemed, you know, non-essential. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are many people, I have friends who run businesses, restaurateurs who, who can't do much, you know, yeah, just making a little bit of money, but certainly not enough. Mm-hmm. And so I think worry would be a bigger, I, I would be a more accurate word compared to panic mm-hmm. but life has been nice I mean I <laughs> look at it from a positive point of view okay. I, I get to stay at home with my three children mm. um, they're having uh, like a school holiday 
now for a month and I just get to spend every waking, waking moment with them. Um, my mom and dad live with me and my mom is a really good cook. So I'm learning how oh, to do, nice. you know, all her, her you know, the, the food that she cooks really well. I'm, I'm actually making little like video clips or, or, on what she cooks well and, you know, posting it on my Facebook page, you know, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to we, we we everybody just deals with it the best they can and in a way um which suits them and i think what's most important is just to be positive just look yeah. at the positive side of being at home for sure it's a, it's i mean you know it's a good chance for everyone to kind of reconnect with a family especially since we are all in quarantine and kind of forced to spend extra time with them now that's right, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, times like this when you're forced to stay at home and you can't go to work, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just seize the moment, you know, and just look at it at, at, as a plus point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and just, yeah. just a quick um, fun fact that I've read about, um, you know, just a couple hours ago. Um, Singapore um, has apparently launched... And I mean, they already have an app called One Service, and they've ad- recently added a new feature, um, essentially for um, residents and users of the app to kind of snitch and report people who break and flout um, circuit breaker rules. You know, have you personally used the app, and what you, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, no, I I haven't <laughs> used the app, but yeah. I think I'm I'm one of those people who follow the rules Mm -hmm. so I'm you know I'm afraid you know being you know snitched on so no I just stay at home and (laughs) try to not stir any problems yeah it's quite funny because I mean you have these groups on Facebook uh, where people uh, you know maybe they're bored but but they post pictures of people flouting um, rules online and right now the fact that we have an actual government app for it I think it's quite amusing Uh, yeah I know I mean well, we because we're not having um, a, like a really full lockdown, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't brought out the army, we haven't brought out the police, you know, to mm-hmm. so one way to get the community involved is to have something like this. I mean, I would prefer something like this, you know, like to have neighborhood snitches than to have <laughs> like the army outside my home, you know, telling me I cannot drive more than one kilometer, yeah. you know, or 10 kilometers. So... Every country deals with it. I mean, what this mm-hmm. coronavirus has taught us is every country deals with it in a way that suits their community, that suits their people. You know, mm-hmm. the government um, does what it thinks is best, you know. I'd rather have an auntie holding a handphone and, you know, threatening to tell on me rather than a really intimidating police officer approach me yes, and try and find right. me on the spot. That's yeah, right. definitely. And right. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if that's good enough to kind of keep everything in check, then... That's good, you know, mm-hmm. for, for Singapore when Definitely. you don't have to bring out strong enforcement. <laughs> yeah, a very Singaporean way to deal with it. Yes, that's yeah. right. Okay, just a, a last point we're going to touch on. Um, what do you think are some lessons that, you know, we can learn from this experience and where does Singapore really go from here? Um, I think what we can learn is what we've do- done well really works so being prepared um basically from our SARS experience in 2003 we we know how to deal with infectious diseases um we understand that contact tracing and isolation is important and we really need to do that from the start 
um, we have a dedicated infectious disease center, the National Center of Infectious Diseases (NCID), and we can give good care to these patients to make sure that our uh, fatality rate is low. Um, we also have a very we, we did a very quick implementation of the community care facilities, um, which can house thousands of infectious patients without them having to burden tertiary care hospital. Um, and also having a good stockpile of personal protection equipment, the PPE. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are positive lessons that you know Singapore can can proudly say that they did well. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what they could have done better, I think you know wearing of masks could have been implemented a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. You know this might have reduced that initial that that community spread yeah. around um, March early April sort of period. Um, overall, I think Singapore is trying its best to, to contain the, the virus and we, we all need to make sure, you know, as a community, as a country, we all need to do our part, you know, to stay at home as much as we can and to, to really sit this out. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think using us as a case study, you know, do- it just shows that by neglecting one small sector of society, it can cause massive, massive disruption. And this virus is a silent killer, so we all have to be really vigilant and stay home so that, you know, we can get over this period as soon as possible. That's right. Well, um, I think that's all for today. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Susei. No, thank you for having me. It was me. so good to speak with you. Okay. So that concludes our episode with Dr. Anita Susei. Just a quick um, introduction to what Narratives of Asia is. Um, it's essentially a new branch of Asiatic Affairs where we give members of our community a platform for them to share their opinions on the chosen topic that they feel passionately about. So if you perhaps would want to get involved with the podcast, with Narratives of Asia, or in any other capacity with Asiatic Affairs, uh, feel free to drop us an email at uclasiaticaffairs at gmail.com or you can contact us on any of our social media pages. So this concludes the episode. We are Asiatic Affairs and this is Narratives of Asia.